0: huge delight to have you gathered with us this morning. Um, This is the time in our service, the center of our liturgy each week, where we give ourselves to the pulpit and the table. That is the preaching of the Word and the participating in the sacrament. We come down to eat after we sit and listen to God speak to us through His Word. Lots of things should happen when the Word of God is preached to you. Uh, Two of them are, first, the words themselves of Scripture is what should be pressed into your soul. So it's not so much my words or another pastor's words. That's the point. It's the words of God. If we do a good job, then we have illustrated and explained and applied those words to you. But part of the reason I like to use the screen is so that you come face to face with the words themselves. Let them explode in your hearts and change you today. And the other is is that your affections should be stirred for Jesus during this time, for his name, for his person, for his work, for his gospel, for his mission, and very particularly today for his church. That's what we're going to hit hard on. Let me start here. A very long time ago, there was a show, and everybody made sure that they caught this show Every time it came on, when I was in my teenage years, it was called Saturday Night Live. Now, to my surprise, I recently learned that the show still exists. And that's not because I've been up past 11 p.m. on any Saturday nights in the last couple of years. I'm usually soundly asleep by that point. All late-night channel surfing has been stripped out of my life. It's because... Somebody told me, hey, you got to check out the monologue from the recent Saturday Night Live. It was a very shady, very filthy, but very popular comic called Lewis C.K., who's actually a Boston guy. He's from Newton, Newton North High School, the Tigers. And in his opening stand-up routine, he was riffing on religion a little bit. And in the middle of there, he said, I've got a question. Uh, I learned in my catechism that God is our father, and we are his children, but where's our mother? I want to know what happened to our mom. And then he speculated, and the audience laughed a little bit, and he joked about it. But he was asking a question that sometimes comes to our heads. God is our father, we are his children, is mom just left out of this equation? if I had five minutes with Louis C.K., I would spend the first four and a half gospeling this dude, warning him of the holy wrath of God to come on my sin and his sin if we don't find forgiveness in the cross of Christ, and pleading with him to take hold of the means of God's grace for him. But I'd leave 30 seconds to say, and oh yeah, hey, on that Saturday Night Live piece, were you serious about this question? Because scripture has a beautiful, clear answer for us of who our mother is. She is the imperfect but lovely and fruitful woman called the church. And anyone who claims to have God as their father and Jesus as their savior slash elder brother must have the church as their mother. All right, hear the text with me one more time, and we'll get into it. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born according to the Spirit. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, which is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above free, and she is our mother. Those are God's words to us. Let's pray. Father, be gracious to the seven-milers who are serving downstairs for the next half hour and loving our little ones. Help those kids believe the gospel to be true. Let the power of the Spirit of God visit them down in an old church, New England basement right now, I pray. And would you show up here too? We are so weak and so slow to listen and slow to believe. Would you rip all hardness of heart outside of this room and just get rid of it far from us today that we might hear and believe the words that you have given to us by your spirit. We might be changed by them. Hear my prayer for those things and answer our prayer. Amen. Okay, We're in the book of Galatians in our text. Jesus as Apostle Paul is doing what he does this whole letter long. He kind of has three loops that he swings back through. He is hammering on gospel grace as the means of you being justified or made right with God as opposed to religion, works, legalism, moralism. He is comparing and contrasting law-keeping with grace-receiving. And here's what he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Okay, what is that right there? That is sarcasm, wicked thick. That is trash talk right there. This is holy derision for his opponents. Please don't miss this. We do this good in Boston culture, right? My kids are tiny and they're unbelievable at this. We were watching an NBA game with Simon and Dan and uh, with my kids and Pablo Prigioni came on the screen or they were talking about him. And uh, he's a point guard on the Knicks. And either Simon or Dan said, oh, yeah, he played most of his career in Italy. And then Brandon, who's 11, goes, Argentina. (laughs) Like, I'm 11 and I know more NBA than you do. Why don't you go read a basketball almanac or something before you open your mouth? You know where this kid's growing up, right? He's just a Beantown kid, okay? This is that right here. All right, super Moses, Torah, Bible, people, you want to talk Bible? Let's talk Bible. Oh, but first maybe you should go read your Bible. That's the tone of this. For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, These women are two covenants. Okay. He says the law-grace dichotomy is like this. You know how Abraham in the older covenant in the law had two sons? Two different sons. One was Ishmael, born to Hagar, who was a slave. One was Isaac, born to Sarah, who was a free woman. These two moms... Represent the two different ways of being justified. The law, because you can't keep it, you can't be righteous through your works, gives birth to children who are slaves to their sin. But grace, because it's freely given, because you don't earn it, because it's Jesus' righteousness, sets free people who had been enslaved to sin, two different means of being saved. Then he connects the two moms and the two sons to two mountains and two cities, and this is what we're pressing today, these two metaphors that he makes in this text for Jesus' church. Okay, the first metaphor in this text for Jesus' church is, she is a city, a city. Here's how he says this. He says, now Hagar, the slave woman, is Mount Sinai, the place of the giving of the law in Arabia, and she is in slavery with her children. She corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Okay, so you feel this? Earthly Jerusalem, bricks and mortar, or whatever they made houses with back then, that was supposed to be the city of God. That was its calling in the older covenant. And it had done that in bits and pieces, but by this time in redemptive history, that city of God didn't look anything like the city of God. All of her leaders especially, both parties, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, far from God. Legalists, compromisers, arrogant, all of this external and outward law-keeping, but the heart very far away from holiness and faith and love for God. In other words, pious on the outside, but it's just a religious facade, no life on the inside. I mean, think of this with me. Earthly Jerusalem had the Son of God walk through her gates to save her. And what did she do? She crucified him. Rejected the means of grace and the path of freedom toward Christ. And so Paul calls the state of that city slavery. This was literally true. Everybody could see the Roman soldiers every day and they knew that the city of Jerusalem was not free. That's because it was spiritually true. They had given themselves to self-righteousness and so that city and her people were enslaved. All earthly cities, all of them, name the city and this is true. All earthly communities, name the community and this is true. All earthly societies, Name the society, and this is true. It's the same story. They are all, without Christ, in slavery to sin. Whether that is the filthiest, most immoral place going, like Vegas, or it is the most Mr. Rogers-esque, highly moral church-going place in the world, like Flower Mound, Texas, doesn't matter. Without Christ, there is no forgiveness or freedom from sin. None. Feel that? Okay, good. But then Paul says, there's this other city, there's this other community, there's this other Jerusalem, and she has been set free from the power of sin. Here's how he says that, but the Jerusalem above is free. Okay, above there does not mean spatially elevated like vertical, like E.T., going up that way. That's what this means. Jerusalem above means heavenly or otherworldly. It means a city to come. Like you can be citizens of this city. It's yours and you are hers, but you're just not quite there yet. You haven't fully arrived. For the Christian... That heavenly city is our home. When I was a kid, we moved from New York City to Boston. And a couple of months in, my little brother James and I made a decision. You know what? We can't keep being New Yorkers. We're just going to have to become Bostonians. And 1986, when the, when the Red Sox and the Mets were playing, we made our decision. It's going to be Boston. Unfortunately, Bill Buckner did not throw his body in front of that ground ball, but We kept going back to New York to visit family, friends, weddings, birthday parties, that kind of thing. But I'd always remember when my identity had changed that we'd be on the Mass Pike, coming home, tired, cranky, and you'd get right about to Newton and the 128 exit, and what do you see kind of right over those hills? Have you made that drive? First it's the Hancock Tower, then the Prudential, then the city of Boston. And I remember in my heart going, okay. I'm almost home. I'm not there yet. I'm almost home. New York is not my home. Neither is all those podunk towns in Connecticut and Western Mass that we just drove through. No, thank you. Boston, you're my home. That is how the New Testament teaches you to feel about the Jerusalem above. No city in this world is our home. We belong to a city that is yet to come. I know that you love the Red Sox. I know that you love your Adidas Crow Tops. I know that you love your Sam Adams. I know that you love that dirty water. But Boston's not your home. Melrose, Winthrop, Saugus, Peabody, Beverly, not your home. There is this other. Way better city. And it is jam-packed with men and women who have been freed from sin and its effects through the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that city is Jesus' church. So I got to preach quick today because we got baptisms and commissioning and all this other stuff, but... It's clear in Revelation 21 and in Hebrews 12 that the new Jerusalem is, the bride of Christ is, the blood-bought people of God is, the people of the Spirit is, a city is the church. The church is the new Jerusalem, and she's free by God's grace. Okay, that metaphor for the church you get but then Paul drops a little bit of a surprise in this text. He takes a little like quick left turn over here, and he mixes metaphors. Any wordsmiths other than Katie Symington just look at me like, ooh, ooh, let's mix some metaphors. That's exciting. She did. I'm telling you, her eyebrows just jumped above those glasses. <laughs> All right, Paul is mixing metaphors here. And he's still writing about the church. And he says, okay, that holy city. And then he says this. She is our mother. What is he talking about here? Why use the metaphor mother? All right, there's at least two things going on here biblically in this image that I need us to get. One is this idea of birth. She gives birth to us. That's what's emphasized in this specific text from the book of Galatians. Paul is saying that new covenant grace equals. Justification by faith, which equals who? Who does it equal? It equals Sarah. Sarah. She's the new covenant. And what is Sarah's claim to fame? What is it? What is she known for? For being a mom. For motherhood. And not just a mom, but a miracle mama, right? How does this text end? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who were not in labor. See, this mom Sarah's womb was dead, barren, lifeless. It would have taken a miracle from God for her to conceive and bear a child. And what's the point? That's exactly what God did with Sarah. Why? Because that's exactly how it works with all of Abraham's children, all of them. This is how gospel works. This is what faith in the promise of God accomplishes. Death gives way to new life. We call it new birth. We call it new life. What does Paul call it in the book of Galatians? He calls it new creation, new creation. The Father does what he did with Mother Sarah over and over and over and over and over again. In other words, Jesus' church, like a wicked, wildly, fruitful mom. I mean like put Octomom to shame. What'd you do? Have eight kids? Please. You know the old lady who lived in the shoe? She had no troubles compared to mother church. Millions of dead sinners born again, born again, born again to this mother. How does that happen? It happens when the church faithfully wields the means of grace. When the church preaches the word of God, when the church evangelizes its world, when the church begs the Father for conversions, when the church sacrifices to live in a neighborhood in a social network and love the people around them and engage them and gospel them, what happens through all that work that we're doing together as a church? What happens? Brand new, forgiven, and free sons and daughters of God are born to the church. So the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Like Sarah, she bears sons and daughters to the glory of God. Okay, but that's not all that she does. The second thing is this word. It's hugely important. Nurture. Church as mother is not just about fruitfulness, but it's about Formation. It's not just about one time people being born again through the gospel, but it is also about the care and the nurture and the discipline and the shaping of the souls of these sons and daughters. In other words, Mother Church is nothing like Mother Harp Seal. Do we have any like nature channel people in the house? Do you know anything about Mother Harp Seals? They're the worst mothers in the whole animal kingdom. It's pathetic. It's actually troubling. I saw this thing once. This this big fat mama harp seal gives birth to this cute little baby harp seal. Right, look like a boy, so we'll just call it a boy. Giant eyes. Julia would have loved this seal. Like, can we keep it? Please, I'll keep it in the bathtub. And for one week... Mother harp seal stayed very close to baby harp seal. And you know, Najadonim and Dud, whatever they, they did. And then all of a sudden, she just swished her little tail his way and she just bounced along the ice or whatever and left him. And I was watching this and I was like, where are you going? You can't do that. Come back. You can't just leave him there. He's six days old. Counseling bills are going to be through the roof for this baby seal. I'm like, there's walruses and polar bears and hungry woolly mammoths in the world. You can't abandon this cute baby seal. She was gone, ready to go mate again. That's how these, these harp seal promiscuous mamas do it. <laughs> and I'm, the camera pans out, and this little vulnerable baby seal is just like, Mom, where'd you go, Mom? What happened? What's going on? born and stranded. You guys, that is not how it works with the sons and the daughters of God. Our Father is not like that to us. He gives us the Spirit of God to be our counselor, to live within us every moment of our lives. And He gives us the church of God to be our mother, to care for and discipline and nurture and shape us, to watch over us. That's the role of Jesus' church in our lives. When we receive God as Father, we receive the church as Mother, and we happily come into her arms and under her care. Now, how does she care for us? Again, it's the means of grace. Right here, pressing the word on you so that your soul would be built up in truth, deep in doctrine, inviting you to or maybe fencing you from the table in love for your soul and to push you toward personal holiness, teaching you mutual submission each to the other in friendships and gospel community so that we might be built up strong, ordaining elders, sinful but saved and graced men who will discipline us and love us and care for us for our good. It's the role of the church. The Jerusalem above is free, And she is our mother, given to us for our good. As usual, I couldn't find anyone to say this in one sentence as clearly for me as John Calvin, who was one of the reformers, and they needed to have a robust doctrine of the church given the work that they were called to in their day. And this is how he says it at the start of his book on the church. He says, let us learn from her single title of Mother, how useful, nay, you know this is old stuff when they go nay, nay, how necessary the knowledge of the church is, since there is no other means of entering into life unless she conceive us in the womb and give us birth, unless she nourish us at her breasts And keep us under her charge in government. There it is. Louis C.K., there's your answer, bro. The church is our mother. We are born to her. We are cared for by her. And that is according to the gracious design of God. Okay, now if this is all true, it begs an enormous question for your life as long as God keeps giving you breath? Raises a very serious question for everybody's soul in here. And it's not merely, are you a citizen of the city of God? That's an important question. The answer has to be yes. You have to be able to say, I am a baptized member of Jesus' church. But there's an even deeper, soul-level question that this text should raise for you this morning. What's that deeper question? Do you love the church? Have you given yourself fully to the care and the mission of the church? Are you all in on seeing this right here, us Be healthy and strong and holy. Another way to ask it is Do you love your mother? Do you love your mother? I'm serious. When you think of Jesus' church, are you just like, eh, take it or leave it, whatever, marginal commitment, maybe I'll try another one next weekend? Here's my life, and the church is somewhere on the outskirts. Or when you think about Jesus' church, do you think, I love her. I have affections for her. I have loyalty to her. I honor her. I am devoted to her. She's my mom. Okay, now we all intuitively get that our hearts should be there when it comes to motherhood, right? Come on, who's the one person on this earth? who your heart races real fast with love and devotion and affections and honor and loyalty to. It's your mom, right? You'd have to be either totally blind or completely preoccupied to not see that in the life of this church, right? Have you ever seen Timmy and Wesley and Miles with Patty? It's unbelievable the affection those three sons have for their mom. Have you ever seen Ezra Bita with Sarah? So he drives her crazy, but he's also... Like just over there, I've learned that lesson from watching them together. Have you ever seen uh, Jake France? He's a sweet kid anyway. But have you ever seen him with Amy? Have you ever seen Ace and Axel with Ilsa? First of all, they're like right up, tucked with her. And then Axel, I swear, he gives you this look like, this is my mom, so you can just stay a few feet away. Because <laughs> I got some Gahani and Kung Fu going to come out right now if you come too close. That's natural, that's God given affections of sons for daughters. What's the one thing that's caused more schoolyard brawls than anything else? Even hinting about something about my mom, right? A couple of winters ago, my dad does not like putting a lot of rock salt down on his steps and his, you know, around his house. So my mom slipped and fell on one of those icy days. I was so mad that night that something had happened to my mom that I told Grace, I'm going to Lowe's, I'm spending $400, and I'm going over at 2 in the morning. It's going to be a rock salt beach out in front of that house. (laughs) I was swimming that thing before I let my mother fall again. You know this, right? You've seen athletes, when they get their awards, who do they talk about? Never dad. It's always mom. I'm getting ready to go to Tanzania next month and visit the Lucis and do some gospel work out there. So I'm just grabbing any book I can that has Africa in the title because I'm like, I don't want to be a complete fool on this continent and make a mess of myself. So I'm going to read about Africa for two months. I get this book written by an American writer who grew up in Central Africa. It's called Cocktail Party Under the Tree of Forgetfulness. It's just her memories of growing up in Kenya, um, a couple other countries with her family. But the thing that has struck me from the first 100 pages of this book is her affections for her mom, who is a very, very imperfect woman. I mean, if you read the book the reason it's called cocktail party under the tree of forgetfulness, is that her mom was very shallow, very flighty, very vain, very volatile, like not a perfect mom by any means. But do you know what pours through the pages of this book? Affection, appreciation, honor, love. I I can't preach this today, but I get a little bit sick of people saying, yeah, I don't do church because it's People are a mess there. And I said, who, who only loves their mother because she's perfect? It's not the way that this works. She's my mom, and I love her. Do you feel all that? Okay, all of that was given to you by God. Motherhood exists for you to get a feel for what you're supposed to be like with this right here, with Jesus' church. Over the next few weeks or so in Melrose, we're going to be running through. So how do I do that? What does it look for us to give ourselves fully to the care and the mission of the church? We'll be preaching through that for five or six weeks over in Malden. They'll be launching out. But the big idea for today is, okay, let's start thinking about this. If the church is the Jerusalem above and she is our mother, given to us for our good, I'm all in on seeing her holy and healthy and strong. She is our mother. All right, today, I told you I was going to be fast. Today we get two awesome, tangible evidences of this doctrine. We're going to be able to see it and touch it, and one of us is going to be so at the center of this that we're going to be soaking wet in a few minutes. Tangible evidences of this grace. And they match right up with what I've been talking about today. So let's get ready for them. One is the idea that birth happens in the context of the church new birth. We're celebrating that today. Don't miss these themes. Don't miss them. In his grace, for his glory, by the Spirit, through the gospel, God births sons and daughters for a kingdom to come. Brand new baby Christians who have been made brand new in Christ. And the sacrament that we administer to that new believer is the sacrament of baptism down with the old and up with the new. In other words, we're celebrating today that someone's been born again. And this has happened. It happened. So I was up hanging out with Caleb and Maggie in their apartment. It's like the ultimate newly married apartment. Have you been in one of those in a while? Because I hadn't been for a while. First of all, it was so quiet. I didn't trip and fall on anything. I kept waiting for some little kid to jump out of a closet or come out of something somewhere. We had like a 90-minute conversation with no interruptions. It was wild. And Maggie said to me, "Uh, this is what's happened in me. I understand that God created us and that we were fallen into sin and that Jesus has redeemed us. And then he does a new creation. And then she just goes, And that's what happened in me. Jesus has made me new. So I'm done right there. I'm like, Caleb, fill up the bathtub. Let's go, bro. (laughs) I'm an elder of the church. We could do this. We waited for this morning, but there's been new birth, new life. I don't know how awesome and wild it's going to be, but we have a sister who we will celebrate the grace of God with forever. We'll never get tired of it. We get to celebrate that today. Welcome her into the care and the mission, and the nurture of the church. She's a wildly fruitful mom who gives birth to sons and daughters by the spirit. We're gonna taste and see that today. The other thing that we're gonna do is we are replanting, planting a church, but today I wanna talk about the language of we are multiplying another mother, another mother. We are saying there are sons and daughters of God to be born three and a half miles that way, and they need a place to come to life, and they need a place to be cared for, and nurtured, and disciplined, and loved, we need another Sarah. We need another new covenant community. We need another faithful church, and so we're going to be doing that work, and we're going to be asking the Father to birth many sons and daughters in and through the life and the work of that church there, because the Jerusalem above is the city of God, and it's jam-packed with free, redeemed, graced, souls, and it's fruitful, and it does its work to the glory of God. So I'm going to pray. Let's get our hearts ready to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Let's get our hearts ready to really ask the Father for the thousandth time to be with us as we sacrificially, hugely sacrificially, ambitiously say there need to be more churches in greater Boston so that more life can come and be cared for and sent on mission. Would you be gracious to us? And while I'm praying, in your heart, with your eyes, when you're watching Maggie be baptized, when you're watching 37 milers come up here and say, we're going to go sacrifice to see this done again, ask yourself, do I love Jesus's church like that? Do I love my mom like that? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that is so clear at times and so precious and so true and such a balm for our souls and also really sharp and really cuts. I don't know if any of us has yet gotten to a place of affection and devotion for the church that we're called to, but I pray that you would write a beautiful story on this street corner and at Malden High School and wherever else you may send us that God is a good father. And Jesus is the perfect Savior. And in their grace, they've given us the church to be our mother so that we might be strong. And that he loves sinners. And he sees to it that she's fruitful. Would you stir affections in our heart for these realities, for these doctrines, for this truth, for your church that's gathered at Seven Mile Road. As we watch these things, I pray that we would not miss this. Each one of us should be headed for nothing but the just wrath of God on our sin. But you have turned us around. You've traded our citizenship in. We belong to a heavenly city to come. We've got a good mom who loves us. You're conforming us to the image of your son. How can we even begin to say thank you for this grace? Teach us to give our hearts to it. I pray that you do it for your glory. Amen. Amen.